Hola, usted está escuchando Conoce tu Colombia, un programa producido por Columbia River Keeper que se transmite cada 15 días los martes. Yo soy Ubaldo Hernández. Esta tarde tenemos con nosotros a Lori Epstein. Es una compañera de Columbia River Keeper y vamos a tener una conversación sobre el trabajo que hacemos en Columbia River Keeper para prevenir la contaminación en el río Columbia. También el sitio que estamos restaurando a su hábitat natural que se llama Nichols Natural Area. Y también vamos a hablar sobre una aplicación que se llama Swim App. Esta aplicación pues tiene mucha información que puede ser mucho muy útil para nuestra comunidad. Esta entrevista va a ser en inglés y pues bueno, este, esperemos que encuentren información que sea importante para ustedes y que también les ayuden a decidirse y participar a proteger nuestros recursos naturales y también a salir al río, a divertirse y disfrutar de lo que nos ofrece la naturaleza. Bueno, vamos a empezar y aquí tenemos a nuestra compañera Lori Epstein. Lori, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Obaldo? Good, good. I'm happy to have you here. I'm really, uh, it's an honor to be able to talk to you and we have a lot of information for our community. But uh, before we start with this information, tell us a little bit about you so we, our listeners can connect with you and uh, you are part of the, this community, you live in Hood River. I do, yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to um, be a part of the show today. Um, and yes, I live here in Hood River. I um, am the water quality director with Columbia Riverkeeper and I've been with Columbia Riverkeeper for about 12 years. And I run our water quality monitoring program, and I also do a lot of outreach and education. And um, I'm lucky enough to get to work with students at the Nichols Natural Area and with our community. Um, so yeah, it's a fun job. I get to do a lot of different things for Riverkeeper. That sounds really interesting. A lot of work, and thank you for all this job they've been doing over the 12 years, making sure our communities are safe when they come to the river and they have the proper information uh, so they don't get sick. Uh, and this is one of the things I would like to start with a swim application. Can you tell us a little bit about the uh, swim app? Sure. So at Riverkeeper, one of the most commonly asked questions that we get is people wanting to know if it is safe to swim in the Columbia River. And One of the ways that we're helping to answer that question for people is um, by monitoring swim beaches along the Columbia River. So we monitor the beaches for E. coli bacteria. E. coli is a bacteria that's naturally found in the intestines of warm-blooded mammals. But when you find it in the environment, in the river, it's a sign of fecal contamination. And so we monitor um, right now about 16 beaches along the Columbia River. And um, we take those results and we post them on our um, swim guide app. And it's a free app and a website. You can find information about the beaches. Um, it's all geo-referenced. So it's a great tool for, you can open it up and find where is the nearest swim beach to where you are and what's the water quality at that beach. So we flag the beaches as red or green, safe for swimming or unsafe for swimming. 
there's also photos, um, there's information about the beaches. So there's a some information about the different amenities that might be at the beach. So things like if there's bathrooms, if you have to pay to park, if it's a good beach for kids or for dogs, that kind of information. Um, but it's a really great tool to just be able to check, you know, almost real time, what is, what's the water quality condition of these swim beaches along the Columbia River. For Riverkeeper, our goal with this app is not to scare people away from swimming in the Columbia, or, um, but it's, it's actually quite the opposite. We want to make sure that people have the information to be able to make informed decisions and to have that confidence to know if it is safe or not to swim in the river. Because I think for us at Riverkeeper, the worst case scenario is that people shy away from the river or stay away from the river and don't interact with it because, you know, out of concern or out of fear or just out of not knowing, you know, what the conditions are and if it's safe. And we don't want that. We want people connecting with the river and engaging with it and enjoying it and recreating on the river. And, you know, so we think giving people this tool that can give them the information to make their own informed decisions, you know, it's kind of putting that power and that information in, in the hands of our community members. So, you know, they can go out and enjoy the river and, and swim with confidence and, and feel comfortable in their decision to do that. I think that's really important because uh, like you mentioned, I know a lot of people that they're afraid to go and swim on the river because they think the whole river is being polluted. And uh, that's not true. Uh, yes, there is some special places where the pollution can uh, increase over the year, right, on seasons. Those are the places that Columbia River Keeper, through volunteers, they go and extract samples of water out of the, those areas and bring it to the office, which we have a small lab where they can run a test for E. coli. And then we share the information in the SWIM app. I think it's really important for our community to feel confident that having this information, it will help you to make a better decision to where to take your family, your kids, or yourself to go swimming and and have a day off at the, at the river instead of thinking about we want to scare people because that's not the reason, like Lori says. And I think that's uh, really important to repeat this information so people makes a, a right decision to go out and and have fun at the river. Yeah, you're right. There are places on the Columbia River that unfortunately have too much toxic pollution and are not places to swim or safe places to swim and are not, you know, good places to catch fish and eat the fish from the river. And that's something that at Riverkeeper, you know, we're fighting to clean up the river and make sure that the river is safe to swim in and safe to you know consume fish from the river um so there are some places that are, are too contaminated but there are also many places on the columbia you know that are safe for swimming and so that's you know that's the information that that we want to share with people and you know let them know um you know where some of the good places are to swim and and it's worth mentioning as well the swim guide app we monitor beaches along the columbia river and um Many people don't realize that the, the recreation beaches along the Columbia River are not being monitored by really anyone other than Columbia River. Um, you know, a lot of people see these beautiful, we have these amazing sandy beaches and, you know, incredible swimming spots along the Columbia. And a lot of people assume 
that they must be being monitored by someone. Um, but in many cases, you know, they're not being monitored by our cities or counties or, or the state. Our coastal beaches in Oregon are monitored by the state. There's some federal funding that supports that. But that's not the case for our freshwater beaches along the Columbia. So that's where Columbia Riverkeeper is stepping in and trying to fill that gap and, and monitor those beaches. But the Swim Guide app also has beaches um, actually all over the world. Um, so there's over 8,000 beaches um, listed on the Swim Guide from 11 different countries. So it's actually a great tool even when you're traveling, you know, outside of, um, you know, the Columbia River or the Columbia Gorge. Um, I've used it, you know, traveling in other places and, you know, was looking at going to a beach and pulled up the app to check the water quality before taking my, you know, young kids to the beach to swim. So it's a really great tool to use um, all over the place. So one of the things that you mentioned is that all this work is doing through volunteers. And uh, so people from our communities, they uh, volunteer to recollect samples from these uh, beaches on the Columbia River. There is an opportunity for them to do this or a system that they have to go through in order to participate with Columbia Riverkeeper. Yeah, we do this monitoring um, kind of through a mix of support. So um, we use vol utilize volunteers as well as um, paid interns. Um, so you know, we have a paid intern, a paid internship opportunity um, every summer, kind of during the swimming season, and um, we train our interns to collect the water samples and then also how to process them and, and work in the lab. Um, so it's a great opportunity to, you know, get some experience, um, you know, kind of learning how to collect samples and, and run a water quality lab. Um, but then we also have volunteers who, um, you know, help us by collecting samples and, and, you know, dropping the samples off with us at the office so that we can process them in the lab. So that's something if there are volunteers that are interested, they can reach out to me, um, and maybe send me an email at lori at columbiariverkeeper.org. Um, and then also, you know, if the internship opportunities sound interesting to people, that's something that usually comes up um, in the spring. And we post those opportunities on our website and also announce them in our e-news. So, um, you know, that's something if someone's looking for some, some flexible summer work, but to, you know, get some experience, um, that's a really good opportunity as well. Okay, well, for people who are interested or might be interested in the future, well, you can visit our website at columbiariverkeeper.org and you will find information about these opportunities and how to participate with Columbia Riverkeeper and help maintain our community healthy. Because uh, it's really important when we have places and we have volunteers that they can go and check and, and pull samples, uh, water samples out of the beaches and bring it to the office and we can see if there is some kind of contamination levels on the area and we can tell our community to be careful because that site is not proper for families to go and swim or spend a day because a lot of times all these sites they clean up right so they it's not like that they're going to be with e. coli levels high all the time yeah you know it really depends on the site e coli can spike up high and then drop back down. You know, as you know, the Columbia River has a lot of water and, um, you know, in many places there's a lot of water flushing through, you know, some places it's not, it's, you know, more 
stagnant or staying for longer periods of time. Um, but it really depends on the site and what's causing the issue. So, um, you know, we do, there are places on occasion that have more chronic problems where we see, you know, repeated, repeatedly high E. coli. Um, you know, sometimes other places it might, you know, there might be an E. coli issue for a number of days and then it drops back down to the safe levels. And so that's why it's really, you know, important to have this tool and you can go to the swimguide.org and um, check the website or you can download the app for free onto your smartphone. Um, but then you can, anytime you're headed to the water, you know, it's really easy to just pull up and you can see what's the most current data, you know, how are the conditions looking? What are the most recent E. coli levels for this site? Um, because it is, you know, it can be changing at different sites. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the best way to get information to people, you know, kind of as soon as possible so that they can make the decisions for themselves. When people want to go and do that and they can share this information with their friends and tell them about uh, the swim up, but also the swim up that has support from different uh, languages. If people don't speak English, they have other language options. Yes. Yeah. I know um, right now there is um, English, Spanish and French, um, I believe. So, you, yes, you can access the app in different languages. And I think there's they're working on adding more just to you know make that accessible to more and more people. So, yeah, and it's a pretty easy tool to use. You know, you can kind of pull up. It's going to know where you are and pull up the closest beaches to you. And, you know, you can kind of look and see if they're, you know, red or green you know, whether they're safe or not to swim in. Well, I just want to mention again that Swim Up can be read in Spanish. So since a lot of our listeners are bilingual, Spanish, English, and some of their families will not be able to really read English, and they can use the Spanish option to better understand the, the app information. And, uh, well, I encourage people to download the application Swim Up and share this information with their friends, family, community members, help us to spread the word and keep our communities uh, healthy and safe. This is a good time to change uh, a little bit of conversation uh, because we have a lot of information. And uh, one of the things I would like to talk is about Nichols Natural Area, where also this site has been restored to a natural habitat with the help of our community. And uh, I would like to, uh, for you to tell us a little bit more about Nichols Natural Area, a little bit of history and what's going on there. Yeah, so the Nichols Natural Area is a three acre um, piece of property on the banks of the Columbia River, right in the riparian zone. It's at the south end of the Nichols Boat Basin, if, if people are familiar with that area. but. Um, Columbia Riverkeeper holds a three acre conservation easement on this property. So the city of Hood River owns the property, but um, there's a there's a conservation easement on the site that protects the site for habitat purposes only. But this site, it's the former, um, it's the site of the Nichols Boat Works. So from 1939 to 1998, um, Nichols Boat Works operated on the site, um, building and repairing boats. And then from 1998 on, it basically sat as kind of an abandoned, you know, former industrial site. Um, and there wasn't a lot of vegetation, you know, it was kind of a, a gravel pit. Um, and the city placed the conservation easement on it and 
asked Riverkeeper to manage it. And so what we have been doing is working with our community to try to restore healthy riparian habitat. And this project is a totally community driven project. So, you know, our community members come out for planting parties and weeding parties and help spread mulch and help water plants and um, help get things growing. And it's just been really amazing to see how the site has transformed um, even in just the last five years. Um, you know, what was kind of this abandoned industrial site is now this thriving riparian habitat that's used by birds and, you know, fish and other species and even recreationalists, you know, come walk through there and it's, it's turning into a really incredible place. So the conservation easement will protect that site for habitat purposes only in perpetuity, meaning forever, it will be an undeveloped park for fish and wildlife and habitat purposes. And then the other thing we've been doing, so we've been working you know, with volunteers to restore the site and restore native plants and healthy riparian habitat. But then we also have been using the site as a living laboratory to engage students and use the site at the Nichols Natural Area as a tool for environmental education, to teach students about riparian habitat and the species um, that live along the river and water quality, pollution prevention. And so we, we do both in classroom and field programs with students. So we get to bring thousands of students down to the site to, to go through our programs and learn about this place and investigate the riparian habitat and learn about the birds that are using this space and, and how they interact with their environment and learn how the riparian zone can help, you know, shade the water to keep it cool for salmon. Um, so it's it's been really awesome place to have students. You know, it's kind of right here in our front yard for local students and, you know, bring them down to the river and learn how, you know, a community and our imagination can really transform, you know, this this place on the river. That's a, a really good information. So I just want to mention that I'm part of that team that works with Lori. I've been fortunately to work with her on this project. And I've been seeing how much work she's doing. And I've been uh, visiting schools to talk to kids about uh, Nichols Natural Area. And then we invite them to come to the site. And it's so many neat experiences talking to kids. We, I, I think more than we teach them, I, we, I think we learn a lot from them because their perspectives on restoring a natural habitat of the river when we go to the school and talk about the history of this site, and the questions they ask or the things they say, that's really profound and came from uh, really clean minds, you know, like they don't have any, they, they haven't been influenced for, for, by different uh, points of view. So the perspective is really clean and uh, really interesting. And we learn a lot about the, the kids and their perspective. And we are helping them kind of to learn more about the importance of restoring a natural habitat, especially with uh, Nichols Natural Area, the site that's really close for us, that we have a lot of accessibility on the area. We want to show our community how this place looked before we do all this development on the um, waterfront or before there was a human settlements on this area. So how this river looks like before we intervene on these areas and transform because we need to accommodate to our new way of living uh, create industries, businesses, 
and we transform our landscape. Uh, and with Nichols Natural Area, we have the opportunity to put a little sample of how the area looks like before. And when we go to this site and talk to kids about this area, we teach them, uh, actually we talk to them about the importance of uh, riparian areas. They help to filter water, they shade the river, they also maintain moisture on the ground. Uh, so these uh, riparian areas are really important to maintain a healthy uh, river, a healthy communities, and to provide space to all these creatures that live in the area and they have to right to to exist like us. So it's really important for us to connect with our communities and talk about the importance of um, riparian areas through Nichols Natural Area. I think this is really important. And all this work has been done through volunteers, right? Yeah, everything that has happened at the site has been all through volunteer um, efforts. So, um, you know, every tree that has been planted, which are now towering, you know, way over our heads and started out as just, you know, short sticks in the ground, every weed that's been pulled, all of that has been done by volunteers. And so it's really been a community effort. And, and that's definitely what we wanted. We wanted it to be a place where our community could, you know, take some ownership and really connect with a place and, you know, feel this sense of connection. And so, you know, some of the students that have planted trees, you know, by the time they're graduating from high school, you know, they're able to, they have seen this site transform. And it's still, you know, there still is plenty of work to do down there. This is, it's an ongoing effort. But one of the things that we also are really trying to do is make it a place where kind of accessible to all different kinds of people. And so we are always looking for different, creating different ways where people can engage. So, you know, we look for all different levels of engagement. And so that could be someone walking through the site and passing by our picture posts that we put up to help take photographs to kind of monitor the changes in the growth at the site. And that's something that anyone walking by can do. There's instructions right on the sign on how to use it. And, you know, you could kind of do that in passing. We have planting parties and weeding parties where people come out um, and help out. We've got, you know, people who kind of adopt the site on a more regular basis. Um, we have students who just, you know, come out for a day with their class to learn about it. So there's a lot of different ways to connect with the site and, and we also um, really want to make sure that, you know, one of our goals with the site is inclusion. So we really want to engage the diverse communities in the gorge. So we want this to be a space for all people. And so we're really working to, you know, offer bilingual programming. We have some signs at the site, some interpretive signs that are bilingual. And so, you know, people down at the site can check those out, but we want to make sure that it's a place where, you know, everyone feels welcome and has the opportunity to connect with a site in a way that, you know, works for them and is comfortable for them. And, you know, I'm glad that you mentioned your work with the site because you have been a really integral part of this project. And, you know, I like to say you're kind of the, the local celebrity among the, <laughs> the students because, um, you know, they show up at the site and they immediately recognize you as the guy that's visited their classroom and taught them about Nichols natural area. And you have such a great way of engaging students in a way that's funny and engaging and inspiring and really connecting with the students. And, and then many of the students are, are just so delighted to be able to come out and, 
speak their native language Spanish with you and, you know, be at the site and be able to, um, you know, connect with you and connect with the river in that way as well. And I think it's really um, important to have that. So, you know, we're just trying to do what we can to, you know, make this a, a welcoming site and connect with all different communities in the gorge. This is a really interesting interaction with students, especially with uh, Latino students, Latino kids, that they feel comfortable when a person who looks like them, a brown person, walks into the classroom and with accent is able to communicate with them and uh, they feel comfortable, like uh, they see somebody like them that they're doing that job and they came to visit the site and they feel more included. And I think this is, for me, it has been a really great experience because I see the faces of the kids when they see a person like me walking into the classroom and talk to them about the importance of uh, restoring a natural habitat, the explaining why this uh, habitat is really important for the health of our communities and our environment and how uh, these natural resources work in order to protect all ways of living from rivers to the land and and all the communities that live around this area. So it's uh, it's been a really great experience to work and visit the schools and bring kids to the to the site. Um, one of the things that I would like to talk also is the efforts to protect this area has been done through community members. And Nichols Natural Area has been at risk by other projects that they kind of put in danger the uh, restoration of this site. Can you tell us a, a little bit about those problems that Nichols Natural Area faced before it becomes the uh, preserved area? Yeah, prior to the conservation easement and what kind of spurred the the site being put under a conservation easement, I guess, is it came about through some of the development that was happening at the waterfront. Um, you know, there's some new buildings. Some of the proposals had those buildings very close, almost in the Columbia River. And um, there were community members um, that really fought for this space and fought to um you know create a buffer and for the columbia river knowing that if we have you know this kind of infrastructure and building and hard surfaces right in the columbia river it's just not great for the water quality of the river it's not great for the salmon um, and so community members you know came together and um you know, fought for the space and fought to protect it. And um, so it's it's really cool to be able to honor that by by then working with our community to, you know, kind of restore it as a as a green space and, you know, healthy, thriving riparian habitat. Um, and it's just a it's a testament to the power of, you know, this community and, and what can happen when people come together, um, you know, to fight for things and protect things um, that they care about in their community. That's uh, really interesting. And we, I heard this, it makes me think about it, a saying which um, it says it takes a village, right? It takes a village to protect and restore an area. It takes a village to protect and make sure the river is clean for everybody to benefit from it. And of course, Columbia River Keeper couldn't do it by itself as an organization. We need the support of our community. And uh, every step we give, we need the support of our community so we can ensure that the work we do to protect the river and 
the areas that surround the river are effective. So as a community, we will have a healthy river, a healthy environment, and as a result, a healthy community. And it takes us to the next uh, topic, which is pollution prevention. And this is really important. Uh, I mean, the way we started our conversation has been kind of building to this topic. And I think that is something that we all members of this community, uh, we can participate. And Lori is going to talk to us about this. Well, the Nichols Natural Area, I mean, you, you, you mentioned the Nichols Natural Area is an important riparian habitat and that, that, that riparian habitat can help to protect the water quality, actually clean water and filter pollution that is headed to the river, you know, stormwater runoff or runoff from parking lots or roads, you know, as it moves through a riparian zone, the plants and roots and vegetation can actually filter out um, some of that pollution and prevent it from going into the river. So riparian habitats are really important for pollution prevention and protecting the water quality of the river. And um, you know, when we have students at the site, that's something we're definitely teaching them about and, you know, helping them to understand. Um, but of course, in the last, um, well, year and a half now with the pandemic, we, you know, unfortunately, this last school year, we're not able to have students, you know, on site in person. And so in response to that, um, what we decided to do was to create a virtual curriculum um, for students. So we developed four virtual science units that tackle different environmental issues and help to inspire action in kids. Um, so they have, um, there's hands-on activities, there's experiments, there's, um, you know, information about different topics. And there, you know, we really designed this to be um, adaptable for students, you know, knowing some students were back in school and some were still at home. And um, we tried to make this something that kids could work on at home on their own or teachers could use and facilitate learning in a classroom or learning online. Um, so the lessons and experiments and, and hands-on activities all include supplies and materials that, you know, many people would might likely have already at home. Um, there are um, four units on, um, one is on household contaminants. So it discusses like the personal care products um, that we use in our homes and on our bodies and cleaning products, um, you know, things like shampoos and lotions and soaps and detergents and things that we use in our home or on our bodies, but then go down the drain. And many of those, um, you know, those, those chemicals or those products um, end up being discharged into the Columbia River because our wastewater treatment plants are not set up to filter many of those chemicals out. And so um, household contaminants and what we can do to kind of protect the Columbia River and think about the products that we use in our home. Um, we have another unit on stormwater. Um, so stormwater runoff that, you know, when it rains, the water that runs over um, surfaces like parking lots and roads and roofs and then eventually you know and is picking up pollution and contaminants along the way but then eventually flows off into the Columbia River. Um, we have another unit on riparian zones and a fourth unit on um, microplastics. So students you know use these um, curriculum modules to learn to define environmental problems, evaluate evidence, and, and develop their own solutions. And 
the the units are really tailored for middle school students. So they're targeted for sixth through eighth grade. And, and we have written them all um, towards the um, middle school science standards. But all of these activities can really easily be adapted to other ages. Um, I have a second grader and we tested out many of the experiments and projects together and just, you know, with a little bit of tweaking to kind of his age level, um, he was able to do the activities and, and understand them. So, you know, what we're trying to do is, um, you know, despite the pandemic and, um, you know, the unfortunate inability to be able to meet in person, but still find ways to engage and inspire students. And that will live online and we will continue to update it. You can find it on our website. If you go to ColumbiaRiverkeeper.org and look under our engaging communities tabs and find the pollution prevention curriculum. Um, you can access all of that. It's all free. Um, and hopefully, um, really soon here, hopefully this fall, um, you know, we'll be able to start um, engaging some students um, that are able to in person as well, you know, keep it, we can keep it outside and, and um, you know, make sure that we're protecting um, everybody's health. Um, but that um, online curriculum is available as well. That's uh, really interesting because just thinking about the ways we participate in polluting our environment without having knowledge of it. Because a lot of times we use hand soap that has antibacterial, right? Because we want to protect ourselves from viruses. But unfortunately, a lot of this goes to the water treatment plants and all those chemicals, they pass through those uh, filters and end up on the river and affect salmon. So affect the eggs of the salmon and they don't produce anything because they get contaminated by these antibacterials. We use some other products that end up on the uh, sink and end up on the river like uh, fluoride. One of the things that also it's not really good for our environment and a lot of times they put in into the water too and that goes through the river and affects uh, the wildlife from the river uh, uh, creatures that are not supposed to be exposed by to these chemicals and we do that unconscious when we um, try to to use uh, household products uh, for our safety yeah and it's something that a lot of people aren't or, or might not be, you know, necessarily thinking about when they're, you know, using these products or, you know, even washing your hair or using, you know, using these soaps and, um, you know, cleaning products and detergent, you might not be thinking about the impact that it has on the river. And, you know, we're just trying to, to raise awareness around that and let folks know, you know, and there are things there, there are really great products that are totally fine to use. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot out there. Um, that's available to folks, but just helping people understand. And even things like, you know, pharmaceuticals, um, people um, should never flush pharmaceuticals, um, you know, unused medications or prescri prescription or over-the-counter drugs. We should never flush those down the toilet because those chemicals go down the drain and they go, they end up in the river again, passing through wastewater treatment plants is, plants in most cases, you know, unaffected and they end up in the river and they impact, you know, the fish and the wildlife in the river. Um, so that's something that's really important. You know, there are places that will, um, there are like medical return drop boxes in different communities. And, and we actually have that information on our website as well, as well, where those places are. But 
Um, you know, you can find one in your community that's a great way to dispose of any like expired or unused medication that you may have. And um, that's one that's kind of near and dear to my heart because um, I see it in movies all the time or on TV shows or they're like, you know, flushing something down the toilet. I'm like, no, that's going to go to the river. And I think I think many people don't realize that. And, and there are even times where, um, you know, I have heard it being recommended to people like, yeah, that's how you should dispose of it is dump it down the toilet. And really, you know, thinking about the health of the river, that's really not a good way to dispose of unused medication because that that just ends up in the river, you know, harming our fish and the wildlife in the river. The other thing I'm thinking about is families or, or people when they have a garden and they start using a lot of pesticides. We have a problem with pesticides in our orchards and we talk about it and a lot of our community they're aware about the impact of pesticides and farm workers and how it affects our forest when they apply these pesticides. But unfortunately, a lot of us, we are not aware how much pesticides we put on our garden, on our land. It's really disturbing when I learned those numbers that People think, oh, it's just half a gallon that I use once a year or twice a year to keep my uh, grass green or keep my flowers healthy and not have uh, bugs. But think about, uh, you're thinking about one gallon as a one family. Think about there is 20 families in your block and if those 20 families use the pesticide, those numbers add up. And those numbers ended up on the ground and they filtered through the soil to underwater uh, reservoirs and uh, and it eventually reached the river. And that's the way also how we participate into the adding pesticide to our environment. There is alternatives to uh, keep our plants healthy and our grass green, but we need to do a little bit of research. There is an organization, Northwest Alternatives to Pesticides, this organization, they have a lot of information what to use instead of using pesticides. And it's really important for us to let our community know about this type of incidents that happen when you think it's only me or when we toss a piece of paper or plastic to the road and you think, oh, it's only one, it's just me. What, can, what harm can be done? But it's not just you, it's probably you and 100,000 people that thinks like you. So then we have a lot, a lot of garbage going through uh, our river systems and ended up on the ocean. And that's what we ended up with these islands uh, of plastic garbage that is damaging our uh, environment. And that's when we think about the microplastic, uh, when we see the plastic start degrading, but it's still on the water and eventually fish eat them and come back to us. Yeah, I was... Um, in doing this research and developing this curriculum, I was just shocked to learn how little of the plastic that has been produced ever has actually been recycled. Um, and yeah, most of it, you know, ends up in our environment, in our rivers and in our ocean and just breaks into smaller and smaller pieces. So yeah, it's it's a big problem. Um, I, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, you're kind of mentioning that cumulative impact, right? You know, all of us seems like one little thing that I'm doing, but you know, when it's when we're talking about our whole community, you know, it's just a totally different scale. And I was just thinking about how that can be, that impact can be 
good or bad. Um, you know, like in the case of the Nichols Natural Area, I mean, we never would have been able to do what we have done down there and the work that we do with transforming the site. You know, we're only able to do that because we've got you know, tons of volunteers in our community, you know, working together to do it. You know, I'm always amazed when we have work parties, how much we can get done and the amount of planting or the amount of, you know, litter that gets picked up at a, at a you know, river cleanup party. Um, but with many hands, you know, we're able to do a lot. But, you know, as you mentioned, you know, there's there's a flip side to that cumulative impact as well, where, you know, if every one of us is, you know, putting you know, this little bit of something down the drain or using pesticides, you know, on our garden. And they, you know, there's a lot of research that home users tend to use more than our orchards or large scale, large scale farming. And anyway, that, that impact just really grows when, you know, we're talking about, you know, when we scale up to a community scale. And this is something really interesting, the community, cumulative impact. Uh, we can do that for the good. You know, mm-hmm. instead of doing to throw garbage into the streets, to add more pesticides to our mix, do other things that harm our environment or, or to put medication through the uh, toilet, we can do that to take action and do cleanups, you know, talk to our uh, friends, community members about this information, you know, to spread it out. And that way we can make a difference. One of the things that I was really, I'll say, disturbed when I learned about the sea salt, how much microplastic is on sea salt. When I, for years and years, I thought that all sea salt is one of the healthy salts for people to consume. And then a couple of years ago, I was learning that all old sea salt is being contaminated with microplastics. Think about when you go to the store and buy things that you think they're going to be healthy and they are not because we, as a humans, contaminate our oceans, our rivers. I think this is a great opportunity for us to start changing the way we think, the way we act and protect not only the uh, our environment, but our communities and our health. Because what happened is... What we do right now, what the, the piece of plastic that we toss onto the street, it will end up on the river, will end up on the ocean, contaminate fish, seafood that we eat, salt, but not right now. It will happen in 10 years or, or five years, and then our kids are gonna feed from it. And we are creating this problem for our future generations, and we can stop this. We can change our behaviors, we can change the future for our kids or our grandkids so we can ensure that our future generations will have a healthy uh, environment and a healthy life yeah and I, I think that's a really important piece i mean we definitely want to educate people about the issues you know it's you can't do anything about it if you don't know about it um so we want to you know help help people to understand these issues um but there's so many things people can do. And so that's, that is another piece of it. We really want to help inspire action and give people, you know, ideas and tools and, um, you know, access to, to information, but where they can, you know, take, take action themselves. And there's so many things that we can do um, as individuals that make a difference. Yeah, that's true. So um, if you want to know and learn more about all these uh, programs that Columbia Riverkeeper and Lori is working on, 
visit our website Columbia River Keeper that or rg and you will have all this information on our website and you can share it with your friends families community and help us to make a difference thank you so much thank you for having me and and thanks for you know helping to um inform and inspire you know our next generation of river protectors Thank you. Thank you, Lori, for uh, being with us tonight. I think there was a lot of good information and Conoce to Colombia will be here in the next couple of weeks. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lori. And thank you to our listeners. Thank you.